0: Welcome to the Five Lives podcast And now Joy's story. So, tonight so many people have complimented me on my shirt. Um, this is I'm not a pink girl like I wouldn't have picked out a pink top but I love it because I feel so girly. Um, last weekend a, a good friend of mine, Nadia, she had the opportunity to go to Spain with her husband to teach and they lead freedom ministry um, at, at our church and she wasn't she's, she's Filipino. Both of her parents have passed away. And she would not have been able to go. Her in-laws were able to come for four days. And unless a friend like me, a mama, um, she wouldn't have been able to go if I wouldn't have come to her house because she has a two-year-old. She just wouldn't have felt comfortable. So anyway, so I went to her house and stayed with her kids for four days and so that she can go and use her gifts and be used by God. And, you know, I was wiping her babies, you know, changing his diaper and scrubbing her toilets. And I wanted to make sure her house was clean when she came home. I took the back seat so that she can go out and do what God called her to do. And while she was there, she bought me this top because she wanted, she knew I was coming here tonight. And she wanted to sew into me using my gifts and the, sharing the message that God's put in my heart to be able to be used by God, too. So isn't that what sisters are supposed to do? Isn't that what the body of Christ is supposed to look like? Like, I'm going to step back so you can go forward, and vice versa. And so tonight, you know, I'm praying that I can encourage you, that you can move forward. Um, I just want to cheer for you. I want to just be um, a sister to you. And I just want to open up my heart to some of the most delicate and um, transparent places. You know, I was telling some of the girls on the way here, it's really easier to teach a Bible message or to teach from the Bible than it is to open up your heart and share the um, brokenness of your life. And it's it's always difficult. It's always um, a little challenge um, because you're being vulnerable. So can I be vulnerable tonight? The goal of being vulnerable tonight is so that you can see the truth about where God is in your pain. So um, I know it's going to be good because last night I asked my 8-year-old son. I said, Josiah, I said, will you pray for us tonight? And um, he goes, okay, okay. So I'm like, wait, you know, this little prayer whatever. He goes, okay. He says, God, I pray for this woman. Like, this woman? (laughs) (laughs) I'm strong. He goes, goes, God, I pray for this woman that when she goes, goes out in front of the ladies that your glory would be there. So he prayed that. And he also prayed, he said, I pray that she would, no, that you, he said, God, you are the jam, and I pray that she would be the knife to spread all, Jesus and God's love all over every lady there. So I pray that I'm the knife, okay, and I pray that Jesus is, is spread all throughout this place, and that you would be encouraged, and that you would seek truth for um, for what it is. I'm just an ordinary girl, y'all. Like, I... I'm not like anybody famous, glamorous, I'm just a country girl, grew up in La Ronda. my parents, uh, I went to LaRanja High School, went to college at Southeastern, you know, I'm just um, a regular girl, That and God has loved me with an extraordinary love, and He loves you with an extraordinary love, so, you know, if you feel like, oh well, what do I have to say, or what do I have to share, maybe you have an amazing story, <laughs> and you know, and maybe you're like, oh, I can't get up there and share. Yes, you can, you know, because it's in our weaknesses that God is made strong. So tonight, the title of my whole life's message tonight is called Shattered Expectations. Um, how many of you have ever asked the question, if God is good, then why did fill in the blank happen to me? Raise your hand. You can be brave. <laughs> you know, people think, oh, I don't know if I can ask that question. But yes, you know, God is, God is okay with you asking that question. I believe God's okay with you asking these questions as long as we go to the Word of God for the answers and not just filter and make up our own answers based on our own emotional trauma. So tonight, I'm not trying to completely answer this question, but I am hopefully going to go to the Word and use my life experiences to give a perspective. And hopefully your perspective will be broader tonight and you can see um, where we fit in this earth You know, we can see the bigger picture and see our role in this earth. So, what is an expectation anyway? An expectation, by definition, is a belief that something will happen or is likely to happen. A feeling or belief about how successful, good someone or something will be. I just want to say expectations are good. We should all have good, positive expectations about our life. We shouldn't be sitting around waiting for somebody to pull the rug out from underneath us. You know, but the Bible even says, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Um, Also, Psalms 23.6 says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalms 27.14 says, Wait and hope for and expect the Lord, and be brave and of good courage, and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for And expect the Lord. So I want to set the foundation tonight. God is not your enemy. He is not the big guy upstairs trying to make you pay for all the sins that you've ever committed. God is good. God is a loving father. I have this saying, you know, we always say when we were walking through some of the trials in our life, we always say God is nothing but good. I know it's not great grammar. God is nothing but good, and he is nothing but love. He is nothing but good, and he is nothing but love. And the world will try to scream at you and tell you otherwise. Your own thoughts will try to tell you otherwise. The enemy of your soul will try to tell you otherwise. But God is good. And, um, you know, he, he, he wants to pour out his spirit and his love on you. And he wants to surprise you in so many, so many ways. So um, who can remember when they were little girls having dreams of what they wanted to be when they grew up? I know we all had some sort of a training. But well, for me, I wanted to be the next Nadia Comaneci. Do y'all remember her? Well, that will date some of us. Because some of the younger girls probably won't know who that is. But, um, oh, yeah, Nadia Comaneci. She she was a gymnast and Olympian. And so when I was about six years old, I would put my swimsuit on. And I would go slip around the house and I would pretend that I was going to be the next Nadia Comaneci. And then, you know, as I grew a little bit, about six, seven years old... I remember having a hunger for God. I wanted to know, was God real? Because I would hear stories about God. I would hear my parents talk about God. I would hear talks of God in church. But I wanted to know for myself, was God real? And so I was laying in my bed one night, just laying there, innocently, you know, I put my hands on the bed. I said, God, I said, if you're real, Ooh. Put this here. <laughs> I said, God, if you're really real, Take my hand and just lift it up in the air. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to lay here. <laughs> you know, just like a child would do. And so I laid there, and, you know, I was just laying there, and I felt the warmth. It was like a tingling feeling come underneath my hand and lift my hand up. And it was like I could felt as if it were, was like oil dripping down my arm. And in that moment, I didn't know the whole, like, sinner's prayer. I didn't do anything formal, but I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that God was real and that God wanted to reveal himself to me. And so I was forever changing that moment. I remember as a young girl having a prayer life, talking to God, having a relationship with him. As I grew older, I hit the junior high years, and I went nuts (laughs) just for a short while. I just was like, you know, that whole season just trying to figure myself out. And I just rebelled and, um, you know, went off the path, did some wrong things. And then, I remember, I was, I was sassy as a teenager, I was just like one of the sassy girls, and something about 14, anybody, 14-year-old <laughs> And I remember my mom was dragging me to youth group, and I was like, I'm not going. She goes, oh, yes, you are. I'm like, no, I'm not, so we fought the whole way there. She even made my neighbor friend come, so she dragged us to youth group, and when I got there, um, God met me, and he poured out his love on me again. And I surrendered my life fully to the Lord, you know, when I was about ninth, ninth grade, 14 years old. And um, I, I knew in that moment that I wanted to give my whole life to him. I wanted to live for him forever, and I wanted him to use my life. So I started Bible clubs when I was in high school, and I, I, we got a group together. and We were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to just make our lives count. And That's what we were encouraged to do. Our youth pastors were like, you guys need to go out there and reach your friends. And so I'm like, okay, that's what we'll do. So we went out there, we started Bible clubs on our campuses, reached out. Well, the the time that our Bible club, um, that they gave us, it was the time they had no other clubs. So the whole school came. Because they wanted to get out of class.
1: So it wasn't because
0: of any other reason. But the whole school came and we literally saw like, um, God use our lives. So as a teenager, I was addicted to partnering with God and allowing God to use my life. And I wanted to i wanted to give it all. After high school, I wanted to go to Bible college, but God very clearly told me, no, go get a regular degree. And um, so I was like bummed about that, but I knew that God, that's what he was asking me to do. So I went to school, became a teacher, and all my life I just wanted to j- just give my life to him. And so I prayed since the time I was 14, I prayed for the man that I was going to marry. and Because I wasn't going to be one of those girls who settled for these jokers. Because I saw it everywhere. I was like, these these guys who were just, just rough and mean and cruel. I said, I'm not going to be one of those girls. I'm not going to settle for less than God's best. And so I waited. I prayed. And God always gave me red flags. And, um, excuse me. And so, um. I didn't date much because I was waiting. So this was my little life. This was like my little life, and each flower and each petal represents an expectation that I had. I was ready to go for it. I was ready to take on the world. I was ready to wait for that right man. I was ready to do everything right. And, um, you know, this was my little picture-perfect life here. And then, you know, I graduated college, started teaching at the age of 24. All of my dreams were coming true whenever I walked down the aisle as a spotless bride. And um, I, I, I was just on cloud nine. It was like the moment I had waited for. I married someone who was in ministry, who um, somebody who wanted to give their, their lives to the Lord fully also. And um, about four months into the marriage, I woke up one day and realized I was in a very, very abusive. Relationship, and you see, there was a problem in the marriage. There was a problem. Um, The problem was the Lord had spoke to him that he was Jacob. In some kind of way, in some twisted way, um, he believed that I was Leah. That he wasn't attracted to me, but that there was a Rachel out there that he would be attracted to. And so I was like, I don't know if you know the story in the Bible, Jacob married two wives this is way back in the day when that was okay um it's still not it wasn't okay with god but that was the custom of the time and um he made, he got tricked into marrying leah he wasn't attracted to leah he didn't love leah but he he loved rachel so i had to live under this like he's not attracted to me um but there's a rachel out there that he would be so i began to you know it was like frog in the kettle like I Every day it got a little worse, a little worse, a little worse, you know. And here I was. I was this strong, vivacious, like, young girl who wanted to give my life to the Lord. And here I am in a marriage where, you know, my husband's telling me I'm Leah. <laughs> and I'm like, but you know what? I said, I, want, I, was, I was raised, like, once you say I do, you did. You know, like, that's it. I'm going to pray. We're going to get through this. And I'm going to get counseling. I'm going to get help. And I'm going to walk through it. Well, days turned into years, and I would wake up crying, I would go to bed crying, and it never changed. It never changed. It was such a a demonic deception um, that came over him, and I do find that, you know, lots of times in in the New Orleans area, because I lived in this area, there is a lot of twisted religion, um, and and he just believed, like, this, this lie. It was all twisted, but he was using the Bible, but there was no fruit in this, you know? The fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. So, you know, that was not flowing out of his life. And so, but here I was, I'm like, how in the world did I get here? How did this happen to me? He always gave me the red flag. He always told me no. And I, I remember just getting in my car, just yelling at God, mad as can be, pain. Was so great. My the pain in my soul was so great, and I carried it day in, day out, day in, day day out, with no relief. I was probably twenty pounds thinner than what I am now. I was a walking skeleton, like the Bible says, my bones wasted away in anguish and pain, because all I wanted was to be that young, beautiful bride to my husband that I could I could never live up to, and I couldn't I couldn't make myself that. So. After about two years of walking through this, and, like, literally, like, you know, my parents would try to say, just come home, just get out. And I'm like, no, I'm believing, faith, I'm standing, I'm praying. I stood, I prayed, I stood, I prayed, I stood, I prayed. But you know what, sometimes we can't change someone's will. You know, we can pray all we want. And sometimes, you know, God God won't even, you know, come across someone's will. So he had to make his own choices. So after two years, um, I found myself divorced. And um, this is what I felt like. I felt like all the dreams that God had for me, all the plans that He had for me were over. I was 27 years old. I was still young. Um, I felt like I was marked. I felt like I was disqualified. I felt like I was dirty. I felt like I was despicable. Um, I remember I went out and had some plastic surgery after, because I thought I was so ugly. I remember looking in the mirror, and all I saw was ugly, 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 um, you know, and I didn't have a bad self-image before being in this relationship, but this is what I turned to. I was so broken, and I couldn't believe what the place that I was in, and I felt like I was disqualified, really. How could God use my life now? It's over, and so I slowly began to get to move forward. I mean, but even people told me like, oh, I guess you'll never have kids. I'm mean, like 27, you know. <laughs> but I was like older people like, oh, if you had kids by the time you're 30, then oh, it's done. But um, I felt like I, the rug had been pulled out <clears throat> from under me. And I'm not going to lie. I was mad at God. I was mad. I was like, how does this happen to me? Because I thought I did everything right. So... Hmm. So yeah, oh yeah. So this is, this, is, this is my pretty life. After walking that divorce, it's all over. And if I could throw this on the ground right now and break it, it would be broken into a million pieces. Because that's what I felt like. I felt, I felt like my life was over. And the plans that God had. But you know what? But this is what I did have. I had already tasted of the goodness of God. I had already tasted of his love as a child. And I knew, even when I was mad and I was yelling and I was in so much pain, I could hear that voice. Joy, you're beautiful to me. And I love you. And you are mine. And I remember one day, I was teaching school. I was on break, and this was before I was officially divorced. And I heard the Lord say to me, you choose this day whom you're going to serve. Me, as in God, or you trying to save this marriage because you have made this an idol. Because God knew his heart. And it didn't make sense to me because I'm like, that doesn't you know, like it seems like it would contradict the Bible. But you know what? God I, I do not condone divorce in any way, shape, or form. I do not condone it. I think it's horrible. It's a death. It's it's it, it is a death. And I I think it's a last, last, last resort. But you know what? God doesn't condone abuse either. And he doesn't condone or enforce someone staying laying down under severe, severe abuse. I'm not talking about mild like somebody got aggravated at you. You know what I mean? Just to clarify, I'm talking about real abuse where it's been confirmed with, you know, counselors. So so, you know, my life was shattered. And I asked the question, where was God in this? Where was God in the midst of my pain? Well the Bible clearly shares that the enemy is after God's goodness in our lives to make a mockery of God. John 10.10 says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they would have life. The enemy has one purpose here on this earth, and his time is limited, okay? It's, It's a limited time. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill your faith in God, and he wants to destroy you using anything that he can. So tonight, I want to reverse this back on him. And I want to expose the devil's best tactic against you. As a Christian, or even maybe you're not a Christian here tonight. He wants to keep your your mind closed to the ways of God. He wants to keep you apart from him. So I want to, he wants to get you, this is his number one tactic. He wants to get you to doubt God and his goodness. And I'll take it all the way back to the garden. And I, I'm not going to read through all of this, but I'm going to skip around. Genesis 3 says, The serpent was the craftiest of all creatures the Lord God had made. So the serpent came to the woman. Really? He asked. None of the fruit in the garden? God says you mustn't eat any of it? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God says we mustn't eat it or even touch it or we will die. That's a lie the serpent hissed. You'll not die. God knows very well that the instant you eat it you will become like him, for your eyes will be opened and you will be able to distinguish good from evil. The woman was convinced how lovely and fresh-looking it was, and it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit and gave some to her husband, and he ate it too. And as they ate it, suddenly they became aware of their nakedness and were embarrassed. So they strung fig leaves together to cover themselves around the hips. And it goes on down to say, That evening they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, and they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, Why are you hiding? And Adam replied, I heard you coming and didn't want you to see me naked, so I hid. And it goes on down to say, So the Lord God said to the serpent, This is your punishment. You are singled out from among all the domestic and wild animals of the whole earth to be cursed. You shall grovel in the dust as long as you live, crawling along in your belly. From now on, you and the woman will be enemies, as will your offspring and hers. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And finally, the Lord God banished him forever from the Garden of Eden and sent him out to farm the ground from which he had been taken. Thus God expelled him and placed mighty angels at the east of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword to guard the entrance of the tree of life. So in this moment of Adam and Eve, this is where sin entered the world. This was not what God intended. God created the garden for us, mankind, to live in in a sinless environment. He wanted us to walk with him face to face and to to enjoy communion with him. But but he said, you know what? Love is not a love unless you have a choice. Because God doesn't force anything on anybody. And he put that one tree in the garden because he said, you know what? I'm going to give you a choice. You can choose to, to obey me and to follow, do things my way or you, can, or you can do things your own way. And so you put that tree there. And in that moment, sin entered the world that we still live in now. And we're still, get, we're, as we're walking through our lives, we're still living with the consequences of that sin from Adam, Adam and Eve. So I just this is a side note, pain comes into our life as a result of three things. One is our own sin. Sin. When we do things contrary to the Word of God, it brings pain. That I mean, God. God has given us guidelines and boundaries for our protection, not to keep something from us, but it's for our protection. It's our own sin that bites us in the end. Yeah, sin's fun for a while. It's really fun, but the wages of sin is death. And after a while, you know, it, it bites you back. It's either our own sin or someone else's sin. Maybe you were transgressed against as a little girl. Somebody else's sin imposed itself into your life. That was not God's will for you. That was not God's plan for you. Um, you know, other other people's just, just poor choices have affected you. Or number two, pain comes into, into our lives as just a result of the fallen world we live in. We're all going to die, (laughs) y'all. We're aging every day. We can get the cream if we want. We can do our best. But, you know, we are aging, and we're all passing away. This is a fallen world. It is dying. Um, Number three, the third way pain comes into our life is the enemy straight-up attack on you. And that's clear in the book of Job. If you read the book of Job, it's clear. The enemy, but you know what? He had to ask permission. To attack one of God's children. Because as a child of God. We are in covenant with him. Nothing can touch our lives. Apart from permission from God. As a child of God. But in the book of Job. God allowed it. For you know why he allowed it? He allowed it. Because he was bragging on Job. And he knew that Job was going to bring God glory. In front of the enemy's face. And you know how many times in our lives. You know has the Lord maybe allowed the the enemy's attack. Because he knew. He knew what we were going to do. He knew that it was going to flip and turn right back around in his face. Because you know what he's doing? He was bragging on his his kids. How many of you like to brag on your kids? When they do something awesome? You know, he does as well. But praise God. He doesn't leave us as victims. We're not a victim. He sent Jesus to die to break the power of the curse. So we can have pieces of heaven on earth now we don't have to live under that curse anymore god had a redemption plan all along he knew adam and eve was going to mess up he knows how we are he and he had a redemption plan all along so the serpent the enemy of your soul who still roams the face of the earth today he is trying to get you to believe just the same way he did with adam and eve to doubt god he's trying to get you to say nope God's not good. No, he's holding something back from you. No, this is not the right way. Don't switch the cars. When pain comes into your life, don't switch the cars. There are only three times in the entire Bible where the enemy's quoting: the Garden, Job's story, and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And what was he trying to do every single time? He was trying to get them to doubt and question God. He is after, he is trying to just defame. God's name to us and you know in our lives you know, the enemy can come after us but you know he can't prevail he cannot prevail, we do, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and like I said, you know the word says that we walk through valleys, we walk through fire we walk through trials and storms, <coughs> but he leads us through to the other side and um, he never gives us more than we can bear so you know after walking through that horrible divorce I was just so broken, and um, I, I was praying whether I was going to go to my old youth pastor's church in Hammond, or, you know, I was going to go to the church that I go to now. And I was praying back and forth, visiting back and forth, and um, I remember walking in the doors one day, and I, I heard the Lord, it was like, He spoke in my heart. It's like, you're going to fulfill your destiny here. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to get involved, so I called. I'm single now, like older singles, so I called the older singles group leader, and the guy answered the phone, and he was like, blah, 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 blah. "His name was John, uh, <laughs> and um, he actually is my husband now. But back then, you know, I mean, this was a long process. I was, I mean, I was so, I was so beat down, y'all. I could barely even talk to people. I was like, I looked like I was just like some quiet little wallflower. But um, through time, I kept going to the group. I kept going. I started to act more normal. Started to act more myself." And through time, God loved me back to life. He loved me back to life through just being in his presence and knowing him. But also through the body of Christ and through other people, he loved me back to life. And then, you know, here we are. John was um, 30 years old. 31, actually. Um, We got married. And he was a virgin at 31. And here I was, this divorced girl. Um, who like could barely speak to people, you know, <coughs> talk to people, but he had waited his whole life, you know, for the for the right wife, and God gave him me. You know, I felt like it was like a modern day Ruth and Boaz story. Um, you know, but, but to me, it was God's redemption in my life in that area where could you, when the enemy attacks you in an area, God, listen, the blessings that come after it, God will, God will so far just just outshine and, and restore and redeem everything that the enemy has put against your life. But you have to yield. You have to yield to God's way and his process of healing. If you stay there and you stay shut and you stay locked up, you can't move forward. You can't embrace what God has for you. You have to walk through the healing process. So John came into our life. We got married and, you know, I didn't know how I was going to pay for another wedding. I already had a big wedding. And, um, you know, this was after Katrina and One day, he thought he was going to get like some money to fix the roof on his house. And one day the insurance company called and said, okay, we're going to give you $65,000, you know, to renovate your whole house. And we were like, what? So anyway, he and his dad did the labor on the house and we got to use the extra money. We didn't have to pay for labor to pay for our wedding. So in one phone call, literally two weeks after we get engaged, my wedding is completely paid for. And it was just like God's way of smiling and his stamp of approval and his redemption say, and his okay and blessing saying it's okay. You can trust again. Cuz I'm not going to lie, I didn't want to trust at first. And even the night he proposed, I was like, "Oh, I don't know if I could I don't know. I don't know if I can do this." And even I'm not going the first year or two was not blissful either because you know why? <laughs> I tested him. I didn't trust men. I didn't trust men. And I tested him, and I had to see. And he wasn't perfect either. Like, he's not perfect. Or I wasn't perfect. <laughs> but, you know, we, we walked through it, and God has used him to bring great, great healing into my life. He is not my source. He is not the answer. He can never replace who God is in my life. But God has used him to bring healing in my life. So, and then after that, you know, we got married. I was older, so I, I said... Let's just have our kids close together and we'll be done. So at six months after we were married, I found out I was pregnant with my firstborn son, Joseph. And then when he was six months old, I was pregnant with my second son, Josiah. And here, I was excited and ready to be a mom and ready to move forward. And little did I know that, oh my goodness, these boys were so strong-willed and so active and so close together, they rocked my world. And I, you know... Even all the dreams I had for motherhood during that season were completely shattered. You know, now looking back, I can see that I really walked through depression because I I was giving, 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 giving. And my boys were a handful. I mean, I'm not trying to like, oh, woe is me. But they just really were. And I I was too proud to ask for help or I I thought I should be able to handle it because I'm like, other people have five kids. Like, I should be able to do this. But I had a hard time. And in that season, I felt like I was a wallflower. My husband was going and doing it. I was at home with the kids. And, but I'm like, wait a minute. God didn't make me a wallflower. I'm not the wallflower type. Actually, I'm not the stay-at-home mom type. Like, I, you know, I like to go. I like to do. I like to work. And um, so anyway, during that season, I, I, I felt like a wallflower. I felt like a lion in a cage. And I heard the Lord whisper to me saying, what are you going to do about it? Am I alone enough for you? Or do you have to perform or do you have to have something that gives you identity? He was, God was after my identity. He wanted, he wanted to know that my identity was in Christ, in Christ alone. Not what I did. Not how I could perform. Not um, how I looked even. You know, my identity was in Christ, in Christ alone. And I got to that place. I wrestled. I wrestled. I wrestled. And I finally just, you know, yielded. And I came to another, here I was in another season of brokenness. And it was, I mean, it was, two, it was a, another two years. Two years, two years. Two years of, I'm not gonna lie, it was, it was depression. And um, I had to work my way through it. And eventually, I decided to go back to work part-time, and that helped me. I went back to work part-time, and I put my boys and mother's day out, had a little life balance, and that helped me a lot. And then, I was like, okay, my goal is I'm going to get them to three and four, and life's going to get easier. Right before my oldest son t- turned four, he started vomiting. And um, I thought, well, it just has a virus no big deal. Well, long story short, we ended up taking him to the emergency room, check him in, and um, we did a cat scan on him because he kept vomiting, and we found a large mass on his brain skin. And um, in one. Day in one moment, a doctor came in and said, there's a large ma- mass on your son's brain stem. we got to get in the ambulance, get across the lake, and we have to have emergency surgery immediately. So I'm like, what? Like, wh-? you know, you know ha- how many of you have ever had that experience where you're like, in one phone call, your whole life changed. In one moment, you know, um, somebody walked out on you. You know, that, that, that defining moment where it's like, boom, everything in your life changes in a split second. And here I am, I found myself in the back of an ambulance with my son. His eye was like drooping. He was having a hard time keeping it open. We had to get to, a, we had to, get to surgery because there was fluid pressure. And you, were, she's my, our nurse. She was there. Um, and I met her, precious friend, during that time. And it's so funny how life goes full circle and here you are sitting here tonight. But, you know, the pressure, we had to have an emergency surgery to get the fluid off. And then from there, I'm like, here I am. I'm in the fight of my life again. I'm like, brokenness again. I'm like, God, shouldn't I get a pass? Like, you know, you know don't you, when you go through something hard, shouldn't you have like a pass? Like, you know, nothing bad's going to happen for at least five years? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is in a span of eight years, like three wipeouts. Like you know, it's like one, two, three punch. Not like a double punch. It's one, two, three. And you know, I'm like, here I am standing, and I'm like, God, how are you good? How are you good in this? Where are you in this? My son has cancer. My son, you know, the prognosis they gave, which I didn't believe. I, I never believed it. Like, like he's gonna die. There, I mean, 100%. He, there is zero chance into. Two years, he will be dead by two years. And I'm like, whatever. They're like that was in one ear, out the other. I'm like, because my child's going to be the, the miracle. Because I know, I believe in the healing power of God, and I know that God is still a healer today. He is, and I do, and I've seen it. I've seen God do miraculous healers and I, healings. And I was like, my son is going to be the one. And it never crossed my mind. We stood in faith. We took communion every day. We <coughs> we did everything. There was no doubt or wavering. That you know, if you have faith, it's all. Small as a mustard seed, you know, that you can move mountains. We we had the faith. We were there. Uh, My son, he quoted um, Psalms 91 every single day of his life in his own four-year-old version, his own style. And he he said, I will not fear any disease or any disaster. But, you know, even walking through all of that, there was even a grace. But God, and God loved me through it. God loved me through it. He held me, and I held on to him because I knew he was going to get healed. But then that moment came. After 14 hospitals, living in Florida, uh, FDA clinical trial, modern medicine said, there, sorry, there's nothing else we can do for you. Just go home, get him comfortable for him to die. And I said, heck no. No, I'm going to research and find the, the best of the best, any kind of clinical trial. We will fly anywhere in the world because my child's going to be healed. And we found a clinical trial in Houston. We packed it up and we went there. And then when that failed, I was like, God, where are you? Where are you? This is not the way it's supposed to be. And the pain, the pain of of just, and the confusion, just the confusion. And I heard the Lord clearly say to me, you have nothing to fear. I am with you. My perfect love casts out all fear. But he did not give me an answer. He didn't give me a solution. He gave me his love. And when you're in His presence, and when you're in His love, all fear must go, all worry, anxiety must go, and you just sit in that moment, in that moment, and you are held, and you are safe, and you're protected. When you step outside of that, that's when worry, anxiety comes in. That's when fear and doubt and 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 just we start believing the lies of the enemy. So we have to stay in that presence. We have to stay in His Word. We have to hide ourselves. Put the worship on. We have, to, we have to just do what we have to do to stay in that place of peace. Because God says that he, he gives us peace in all circumstances. In every circumstance. His peace is there for us. And I remember that moment. He was in our bedroom. And I remember looking at my son in the eyes and I knew he's going to heaven. It's over. He's going. And I had to, I had to let him go. And I don't know if any of you I've ever had to do this. To say goodbye to your baby, my firstborn son. And I remember that moment I was in the shower. And it was before I took that pregnancy test. I said, God, I'm not pregnant. Because I felt like I was, you know. (laughs) It was my first one too. And he was like, yeah, you are. And he told me I was before I took the pregnancy test. And I was. And I remember that moment when God, I was was like, God, why did you give him to me? If you knew he was going to go. And in that moment, I said, I received him as a gift, and now I've got to let this gift go, and I have to give him back to God. And I looked at my, my boy in the face, and he was strong as an ox, strong as an ox. One time when the nurses were trying to put an IV in him. He was like it took three nurses and my husband to hold him down, and they still had a hard time. And he was so stinking mad, he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna curse them out." He cursed, he cursed them all out. In the only words that he knew, he looked at, he looked at my husband, and he said, "Poo poo." But he was like, he was like holding it back because he knew it was a bad word. And then he goes, then he said aloud, "Poo poo," and then he went, "Poo poo." He yelled to the top of his lungs. He was yelling, "Poo poo!" All through, and out, everybody was laughing, but like. He was cursing us out because like, he, was, he was strong as an. Thank God. <laughs> thank God he was strong because um, when I looked him in the eyes and I said, Baby, you're going to go to Jesus. And Mama wants you to go. Because I didn't want him to live like that anymore. I said, oh, Mama wants you to go. And I said, When you, when you see Jesus, He's telling that Mama loves him, and he's telling that I love him, and I'll never stop serving him, and I'll never believe anything besides the fact that he is good, even in the midst of letting you go. Because, see, the truth is, I didn't own Joseph. He was never mine to begin with. Sometimes we have children, we think we own them, we think we can control everything about them, we can keep them safe, but we can't. Our children are gifts that are given to us to be given back to God. And yes, we have a responsibility. It's a huge responsibility not to be taken lightly. But we have to give our kids back to God at some point or another. And I had to give my son back much sooner than I had ever wanted or ever thought. So it was still, we didn't want my son to pass away in our bedroom, so we took him to the hospital. It was still four days his body was so strong, he wouldn't, he just wouldn't move. And then finally, you know, I was saying when he took that last breath, and it was this weird feeling of like horrible pain, horrible, but at the same time, there was this sweetness, because it was like I could feel the Holy Spirit ushering him in into eternal life. There will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. The things in this and the pain that I have had to walk through in my life, he will never have to walk through. He got spared <laughs> of the pain in this life. <clears throat> and, you know, to this day, I can't tell you why, all the whys. I can't tell you, I can't tell you this is why that happened or, you know, maybe I did something wrong. Or, no, I can't tell you all that. But what I can tell you is that I'm in covenant with a good God. And then I'm, I still know my God. And I know He is still good to me. And I know that nothing can touch my life apart from permission from Him. Nothing can touch my life. And because I, I, I'm living righteous now, if we sin, we can open the door. We can open the door to the enemy. We open the door to sin. But when we're living righteous and we, <coughs> we make mistakes, we, re- we repent quickly, you know, nothing can touch our life. Nothing. And so, therefore, it's a matter of this: one of two things. Either am I going to trust God, or am I not? Am I going to take Him at His word? Am I going to believe that He had a bigger purpose in mind? Am I going to believe that, you know, He knows the end from the beginning, and He knew what we were going to do? We, you know, we have a, a small nonprofit where we give funds to children battling life-threatening illnesses. You know, we have our book written, and this is my Joseph here. This is my Joseph. And when I saw that shirt, it was er, shirt. I was like, "That! Oh, we got to get that shirt because no matter, no matter what, he is unstoppable. Death can't hold us back when we know Christ and we have a relationship with him. Not even death can can stop our lives. We are unstoppable in Christ. And so, you know, I've written our story to be able to share with other hurting people and people who have no hope, people who walk through life and like, oh my goodness, they lose a child or, or lose a loved one and they have no hope. So you know we've been able to turn this around and I said that I said that the arrow that the enemy fired at us we are flipping that back around and we will fire thousands of arrows back into the kingdom of darkness because no 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 well, you know we're not gonna we're gonna be unstoppable and we're gonna move forward because I know the nature of my God and I know his character because he is nothing but good. And he is nothing but love. And don't ever switch the cards. Whenever pain comes into your life, don't ever switch the cards like, oh, well, God must be trying to teach me a lesson. No, God doesn't do... That's not the God we serve. Now, I'm not going to... We do... The Bible is very clear. First uh, Peter 4:12 12 through 13. <laughs> don't be surprised at the fiery trial that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead... Be glad for these trials make you partners with Christ and His suffering, so that you would have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed. You know, and even Paul says, I want to know Christ, and I want to partake in His sufferings." You know, there's something about walking through the valley of the shadow of death that you know Christ. You know God when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know God. Um, Rick Warren says, Your most profound and intimate experiences of worship will likely be in your darkest days, when your heart is broken, when you feel abandoned, when you're out of options, when the pain is great and you turn to God alone. You know, so many times we turn to so many other things. But when you're out of every other option, sometimes it forces us to our knees to turn to God alone. And ultimately, you know, He's after your heart. He is after your heart. He wants to know you. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to be to use your gifts and talents to glorify Him. He loves to partner together with us to, to, for His purposes in the earth. And, you know, even when we get to heaven, we, we're going to have jobs to do. we got work to do. And it's, it's fulfilling. It, you know, God created a, us to partner with Him. And we're going to be doing that forever and ever through eternity as well. So... You know, in my life, you know, the brokenness that took place through the divorce and, you know, through the season of motherhood and then through the death of my son, you know, all of that brokenness, you know, it's, it's just like ashes. You know, that's what I felt like, just my was <clears throat> completely burned up to a crisp. But, you know, in ashes, there's some of the most fertile nutrients for new life. ashes. And actually fire is a part of our ecosystem. We need it. Fire is a part of our ecosystem. Ashes are a result of something that was once in its original state. Then it's been burned to an unrecognizable gray matter. The original state is now unrecognizable. What was that? We don't know what this was. (laughs) Um, Yet ashes contain some of the most fertile, fertile nutrients for new life. There are some areas of your life that looked like this pile of ash? A dream that was once alive, hope maybe that's just been burned up. What is your pile of ashes? Will you pour out your ashes and just sow them into the ground with the confidence that God is gonna bring something new out of it? And God is gonna bring something so miraculous and such new life that your life is gonna radiate into something you know, it's totally unrecognizable. You know, we will all suffer at some point. God is the God of the mountains, He is the God of the valley. You know, and, but but He is a master of redemption, and He has brought redemption in my life through my marriage to my husband John, um, through my my other sons. I have my second son Josiah, who is such a delight to me, and then my third son Joshua, who just turned four. They they just adore me. You know. My boys just love their moms, and I just eat it up. So, you know, and also, you know, that ministry call that I had in my life at 14, you know, little did I know I was going to walk through all of this pain in my life, all of this pain in my life. Now I have something to get, like, I have some Something to minister to someone because I've actually walked through something. And little did I know, I thought I was going to go to Bible college and go do all these things and tell, you know, help people and blah, blah, blah. No, I was going to have to be, go through the fire myself and walk through some brokenness. And that is the ministry because as a teenager, God told me, you're calling as is Isaiah 61. God called you to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free, to comfort all who mourn. And that was as a teenager. See, God knows the end from the beginning. He knew that through the pain in my life that he, God was going to restore that and it, I was going to be able to use that, you know, to minister to other people because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's how we overcome. Don't keep your mouth shut. And I, I know it feels awkward and, you know, tell your friends at work. You, you, you keep sharing what the Lord has done in your life because he is so worthy of it. He is so worthy of it. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I, you know what, I will not shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I <you> will not. <laughs> you know what I mean? The I oh, don't do that, that's too hard. No, I won't shut up. I won't shut up because he's worth it. And God is good. And I don't want to see any lies. you. I don't want to see Him stealing from you and, and trying to destroy you. And for those of you tonight who feel stuck, you're stuck in a rut. Um, you can't get past something. God wants to heal you tonight. He wants to heal you tonight. Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise. You will get through it. You will walk through the other side. Sometimes you've got to preach yourself happy. You know, when you're in the fire, when you're in the circumstance, you got to remind yourself. You have to preach to yourself. Nothing can separate us from God's love. This life is a vapor. We all are going to die. Do you know where you're going? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you, do you know that you know that you know that he is the only way? Do you know his love? Do you have that peace? Or do you live with a void? Do you live with this cold void and trying? you're trying to figure things out? You know, I do know this. Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good. For those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And as I close tonight, I'm asking you to release God from the headlock that you may have him in. Release him from the headlock you may have him in. God is good. Don't switch the cards. Don't, switch the, don't let him lie to you. He's been doing that for years and years and years. The enemy's been lying, trying to get you to doubt God and question God from the garden. That's what, that's, I mean, he, he doesn't have any new tricks. You know, some, some of you in here, you maybe you thought you'd be married by now. Maybe you thought you'd have children by now. You never thought you'd be a single mom. You never thought your husband would leave you after 25 years of marriage. You never thought you'd be battling a disease yourself or a loved one. You never thought you'd lose your husband. You never thought you'd lose your dad. You never thought that your best friends would turn their back on you and betray you. You know, we all, we all have a story. We all have pain. And I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with this. These are three essentials that you must have in your life to move forward in God. Three essentials. Number one, you've got to have His promises. You have to know His Word. I don't have my Bible. But you've got to be in it every day. Even if you read one scripture a day and just meditate on just that one scripture, you have to be renewing your mind in His Word because His, his Word is the pathway to life. It is the truth, and it's the truth that sets us free. And we have, to be, we have to constantly water ourselves in His Word. Number two, we need His presence. We have to have His presence in our lives. We have to put on those worship videos. We have to um, submerge <coughs> ourselves in environments where we are just in His presence. And you can do that anywhere. It can be in your car. It can be in your bedroom. It can be anywhere. And number three, you have to surround yourself with His people. You know, so many people try to isolate themselves. Up, oh, the church has hurt me. It doesn't matter. No church is perfect. I promise you. They all are, you know, every church has weaknesses. But, you know what? Find a healthy church. Not perfect, but healthy. And connect yourself to His people. Get to know. Allow people to get to know you. That's how you grow. And that's also how you're protected. Whenever we walk through the things that we walk through we were literally carried by the prayers of people. Why not we give Joy a hand?